Well, it is a joy to have with us this morning my son-in-law. We have our ch- our grandchildren over here. Claire and uh, Claire's here, and uh, our daughter, and then Caden and Addison are just sitting there beside her, and they're going to sing later on. <laughs> Not really. I just said that to see if they were paying attention. They are. But uh, anyway. Um, We're very glad to have Pastor Kevin with us this morning. Kevin uh, went through our Bible college in uh, England and uh, was a very good student and went on then to pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Spalding in Lincolnshire uh, before replacing me at Milton Baptist Church in Stoke-on-Trent. So we're glad to have him this morning. I know he'll bless you and the Lord will use him today and we're looking forward to whatever the Lord has to say through him. So Kevin, come ahead and share with the words later. Okay, thank you. Well, good morning. This is my first time speaking in Northern Ireland, um, preaching in Northern Ireland for a bit of a clarification. So it is a privilege, it's a joy. I heard somebody say this morning, I think it was Pastor Moore, that this might be the last time that I preach in Northern Ireland. But we'll see, you seem like a friendly bunch, so we'll see what God's people uh, are, are like. But it is a privilege to come and, and, and speak here this morning, certainly it is. And you know, we do pray for Pastor Moore and the ministry here, and um, I've heard this morning that you're praying for me, and I do appreciate that absolutely. We're all in this together. This is, this is God's work. This is the battle. And, you know, I was thrilled to hear about the Mission Week. Um, you know, it's te- I love testimonies. You know, there's something powerful about testimonies, isn't there? Just to hear what God has done in somebody's life, to hear how somebody's been taken and translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and how they can stand and they can testify that Christ is all in all, that he fulfills the things that the world cannot fulfill. He is the one true God, and in him is peace and joy forevermore. It's beautiful to testify, isn't it? It's beautiful to hear testimony, and you're going to hear our testimony uh, this evening, but I want to bring, not, not, not doom and gloom this morning, but I want to bring a word of caution. Because when we think of testimonies, and this is often the case, not always, but often the case. If I was to come to you this morning and say, tell me your testimony. Straight away, you would go to the point where God saved you. And, and look back on that. And that's beautiful. It's beautiful. But here's what I want to say to you this morning, church. Is that your testimony is as current as you are. What I mean by that, I mean the heavenly tape recorder is always rolling. The eyes, wor- the world, eyes of the world are always watching. You know, Jesus himself, didn't he, when he addressed the seven churches of Asia Minor in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he said repeatedly, I know thy works. The Lord knows, he sees, he watches. And the point I want to make to you this morning is, yes, it's great to have a testimony of saving grace. Absolutely beautiful. Testify to that. But if you don't have anything to say about what God is doing in your life right now, in the current, in the present, then the testimony of saving grace has been belittled. Because that grace that saved you is willing to sustain you, and the Lord that you came to and cried out unto, saved you from your sin, set you upon a rock. What a beautiful day that was. But where have you gone since? You know, the Apostle Paul likens the Christian life to a race, doesn't he? And you're not remembered in any race that I know of for how you start, but how you finish. How you finish. And sometimes, as Christians, we are guilty of dining out in past victories, forgetting the current, present battle. 
Oh, the Lord did this work in my life so long ago. But the Lord's looking at you now and what's he doing in your life now? What are you testifying of his glory and his goodness in your life now? How are you living for the Lord that saved you? Yes, maybe you can look back to many years ago when there was a fire and a fervency. The Lord saved me and I was on fire for him, but life happened. And things came along. And I'm not where I was. I'm not on fire as I was. And I can remember a day when I was so fervent. I had zeal for the gospel. We can't dine out in past successes. What's God doing now? How's he working in your life now? You know, we look into the secular world and we see many of the so-called famous celebrities, famous sports people that started well, ended badly. Not so long ago it was Tiger Woods, if you remember. He was at the top, wasn't he? Top of the golfing world. Lost it all, didn't he? Overnight and had to build it back. Many men and women of God have gone the same way. You know, we look to the spiritual world. How often do we hear of people who had tremendous testimonies of God's saving grace, had tremendous testimonies of what they were like in their walk with God in the early days, but yet all they're known for now is their fall from grace. How men in the pulpit have let adulterous ways come in and ruin their ministries. Are they going to be remembered for how they started? No, absolutely not. They're going to be remembered for how they finished the race. And it's God's name that's in play. It's his name that we carry. It's his testimony when we walk in the world. We are a witness to the world. And yes, the heavenly tape recorder is always running. But the world is always watching. And the world doesn't care about the things that happened in your past. The world cares about what you're doing now. And that's what the world wants to haul you to account over. So what am I saying here? What's my word of caution? Here's my word of caution. Guard your testimony with your life. It is precious. And the enemy will try and rip it away any way he can. I think it was Friday night we heard the testimony of, uh, of that man that came out of, of New Hope. And the battle that was going on there and the temptations that are placed in the way. And the devil will do that. The enemy will do that. He'll absolutely put the world in front of your sight to try and pull you down and try and destroy your testimony and say, see, there's another hypocrite. There's another one that started well but fell in the race. We can't dine out in the past. Even think about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. One lived in perfect, active obedience to the Father. The temptation in Matthew 4, how he gloriously was victorious in that wilderness. But if Jesus had went on and in the Garden of Gethsemane had a field there, it wouldn't have mattered what happened all those years ago with the, the devil in the desert. It was about how he finished, how he lived, and how he started. And that's the example we are to follow. Your testimony, beloved is as current as you are. And you have to guard it. Because many have fallen in the race that have started well, but ultimately have succumbed to the temptations of the enemy 
and have destroyed all the good work that they've done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I was thinking about this kind of thought, I wanted to take us this morning to one Kings chapter, or two Kings, sorry, chapter number 15. And we're going to go to one of the kings of Judah, King Azariah. You may well be familiar with this story. And, you know, when you look through the history of the, the kings of Israel, both north and south, you'll find that there was three different kings. There was the odd good one, there was some bad ones, and there was plenty of worse ones. But Azariah is one that caught my interest because he is one that started well. There's no doubt about it. And uh, did many good things, but he ultimately fell. He ultimately didn't finish the race well. So we want to have a a look at his life this morning and just pick out a few thoughts as we think about our our testimonies and how we guard them uh, in the world today. 2 Kings chapter number 15. We'll just read verses 1 to 5 this morning. And we'll trust the Lord a lot. His blessing to the reading of his word. 2 Kings 15 verse 1. The word of the Lord says this. In the 20th and 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, began Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, to reign. Sixteen years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned two and fifty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jeclaniah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Save that the high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. And the Lord smote the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death and dwelt in a several house. And Jotham the king's son was over the house, judging the people of the land. So here we meet King Azariah. And we want to look at really how this king started. And he started well. That's, that's the thing. Look at verse 3. It says, he did which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. So this king Azariah, when we look into him and look into his his history and the things that he did, certainly at the start of his his reign, he did tremendous things for the people. He did tremendous things for the economy. You know, it was good times in Judah under this king, there's no doubt about it. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles 26, there's an expansion on things here. Two Chronicles twenty six. Read from verse one. It says then all the people of Judah took Uzziah. I want to say at this point, Uzziah and Azariah are the same person. It's said that uh, Uzziah was his proper name. Or his royal name, if you like. Azariah was his given name. Similar concept. Um, Prince Harry. I don't even know if you can call him Prince Harry still. Just about. But Prince Harry is really Prince Henry. His, his royal name, his proper name is Henry. His given name is Harry. Same thing that's happening here with Uzziah and uh, 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 Azariah. So, it says here, verse 1. He was 16 years old and was made king. Then verse 2, he built Eloth and restored it to Judah. After that, the king slept with his fathers. 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. This is one of the longest reigns of uh, Judah. His mother's name was also Jeclaniah of Jerusalem, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. 
and he sought God in the days of Zacharias. So Zacharias a contemporary, Zacharias prophesying, who had understanding in the visions of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And he went forth and warred against the Philistines, break down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, the wall of Ashdod, built cities about Ashdod and among the Philistines. So he expanded the kingdom, if you like. Verse 7, and God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians that dwelt in Gerbal and the Menahims. And the Ammonites gave gifts to Isaiah, and his name spread abroad even to the entering in of Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, the valley gate, at the turning of the wall, and fortified them. He built towers in the desert. He digged many wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains, husbandmen also, and vine dressers in the mountains, and in Carmel, for he loved husbandry. Moreover, Uzziah had a host of fighting men that went out to war by bands, according to the number of their account by the hand of Jael the scribe, and Manasseh, the ruler, under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The whole number of the chief of the fathers of the mighty men of valor were 2,600, and under their hand was an army, 300,000 and 7,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for them throughout all the host shields and spears and helmets and harbingers and bows and slings to cast stones. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. So here we see the account of how this king started. And he started well. There's a real list of achievements there when you look into it. You know, he organized this draft system, this army draft system. You know, he, he pushed out the boundaries. He, uh, you know, dug wells to provide water in these extended boundaries. He used, uh, you know, cunning men to come up with uh, basically automated turrets, if you like, to protect the people. So the thing is that rising to power after a long period of decline, he restored Judah. He, you know, it was good times under him. The people would have been happy. They'd have been thrilled that they had a man leading them that was following God, that was following his principles, that was doing right in the sight of the Lord. And God's hand was upon the people. It was good times. He was known as the Prince of Vision. Because of the prosperity that went across the land under his rule and his reign. So when we look to King Uzziah or Azariah and we look at how he started, he started well. He started well. And we can take a spiritual application and look to the people of God today and we can look back at many that have started well, they could go back and say they did great things for the Lord, that they were in the Lord's will, that they shook his face and shook his presence and he did indeed prosper uh, them spiritually as they went about his work. But like with many, unfortunately, in the church today, King Uzziah didn't finish well. He started well, but he didn't finish well. And again, unfortunately, that's so common for many today. 
many that have given their lives to the Lord and served him, but just have let themselves and him down on the last. They haven't finished well. And that's what they've been remembered for. So this king, indeed, he started well. But I want us to notice, going back to 2 Kings 15, I want to start to see how the king stumbled. If we go to 2 Kings 15 and, and verse number 4, we're just straight off the back of reading that he was doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. We get to uh, verse 4 and we have this uh, little sentence that says, Save that the high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. So we've looked at how the king started, but now I want you to see how the king stumbled. You see, he did do which was right in the Lord. He did go about looking after God's people, and he was a good leader, but, but Scripture tells us that he didn't remove the high places. So what were these high places, and what did God have to say about them? Let's turn to Deuteronomy uh, chapter number 12 this morning. God has something to say in these high places. In fact, the word of God is quite clear. Deuteronomy 12 and verse number 1. Deuteronomy 12, verse number 1. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess serve their gods, upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. And ye shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars, burn down their groves with fire. Ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. So the word of God is clear and what's expected in relation to these high places. Now the kind of concept with these high places is that they're, they're, they're places of worship, they're altars of worship, of mixed worship, of polluted worship. A lot of pagan gods worship there. And there's, a, there's an almost a secretive element to it. You know, I'm one of the blessings of having a vertically challenged wife. She's, she's a little late, she's not a big tall girl is that whenever I'm hiding Christmas presents or birthday presents, um, I do buy her birthday presents and Christmas presents once every 10 years. I think that's probably enough. But I like to hide them. And if I'm going to hide them, I put them in a high place. I put them in the cupboard top. Anybody ever hid a present up there? Or the place that my wife doesn't go, the loft. Put it up in there, put it in a high place. And, and so what's, what's the concept? I don't think she'll be able to see it up there. I don't believe she'll be able to get to it. She'll walk past and be oblivious to it because it's in a high place. There's a, there's a secretive element to it. And that's what was going on with these high places in the life of Israel. Turn to 2 Kings chapter number 17. Just a couple of chapters on from our main passage in 2 Kings 15. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, And the children of Israel did secretly those things which were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill, under every green tree. 
And there they burned incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols, whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. So what had happened? These high places were little secret places where the people of God went off to do all the things that God had said to them, you're not to do this thing. And as we look at Israel all those years ago, we can easily judge them, can't we? You know, Israel, Israel gets hammered when we look at them and say, how stupid are they? You know, God delivers them out of Egypt takes them out of the world and, and gives them a prescriptive form of how to worship him. Gives them a promised land that they can just go in and take because God has promised it to them. And what do they do? What's the first thing that they do? They start to try and worship God in idol form. And we look at them and go, those stupid Israelites. How could they do such a thing? We read this and we surely should be amazed that these people of God these elect chosen people to be the people of privilege, to take the oracles of God to the world, to be those that allowed the light to come into the world, that were given all these privileges, had abused them in such a way that they were going off and going to these high places, these altars, these places of sacrifice and false worship, an affront unto God. Oh, those foolish, foolish Israelites. But let's fast forward. Let's fast forward. The Lord has came. He's walked upon this earth. He's gone to Calvary's cross. He's ascended onto the right hand of the Father and he's sent the Holy Spirit. And now those of us here this morning are privileged to be in the church age that when we came to the Lord in saving grace, we had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit permanently. Something that Israel didn't have. We have the complete Counsel of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. We have it all. But let me ask you this morning, church do you have a high place in your life? Do you have a high place where you go that you think that others can't see you, that there's some sin in your life that you can't let go of, that maybe nobody else here knows or nobody else here sees? Problem is, God sees. God knows. He knows the high place in your life. He knows the high place in my life. Some of us it may be career. Some of it may be, you know, the sin that we can't let go of, that secret little thing that's in there that we just can't shake. And while nobody knows about it, it's contained. But listen, when you go to the high places, the world may not see you. The beloved in Christ may not see you, but God sees you, just like he's seen those people of Israel all those years ago. Yes, they were trying to do it secretly. Yes, they might have been able to shift off in the night and go and worship upon those hilltops. But God saw them and he sees off this morning so here's the challenge do you have a high place in your life save that the high places were not removed this is where the king stumbled and this is where we will stumble in our walk as we guard our testimonies if there's a high place in our life mark my words if we don't deal with it radically deal with it at some point 
It is going to manifest itself and it will destroy your testimony before the Lord and you will drag the name of the Lord through the mud. This is where the king stumbled. And God was clear. These high places had to be removed. Why? Because God knew what would happen if they weren't. He knew that without the total destruction of these things, there could be no radical reform in the nation. This toleration of any type of idolatry, no matter how small, would ultimately affect everything else that was being done. No matter how much good was being done by the king, no matter how much advancements had been made in the time that the king ruled, all the while in the backdrop, There's something not right. There's this seed that ultimately is going to grow and fester and form. Seed of sin. Why? Because the high places weren't removed. The king started well. But the king also stumbled. And his stumble was not removing the high places. Let's move on and think about how the king finally succumbed in 2 Kings 15 verse 5. Verse 3 tells us how he started. Verse 4 tells us how he stumbled. Verse 5 tells us how he succumbed. And the Lord smote the king that he was a leper until the day of his death, dwelt in a several house. You know, so this, this is the king's epitaph, if you like. This is the eulogy of this man's life. He ended his days as a leper, cut off, separated from the camp. What a fall. What a fall from a king who had started so well. So what what caused this? Let's go back to or forward, sorry, to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And these are parallel accounts, but we get more detail in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 16. Or 26 verse 16, sorry. This really is heartbreaking. She take no pleasure. In this. 2 Chronicles 26 verse 16. We read earlier up to verse 15. And all the great accomplishments of this king. We get to verse 16. But when he was strong his heart was lifted up to destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God. Went into the temple of God to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Then Azariah the priest went in after him. And with fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests of the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. Then Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hast also to go out, because the Lord hath smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper until the day of his death. And dwelt in a several house, being a leper, for he was cut out or cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. 
Twice there in verse 21 we're told he was a leper. He was a leper. This man of God who had done so well started tremendously had fallen in such a mighty and public way that all that was done before was forgotten and all that was remembered about this man is that he died a leper. What a travesty. What a fall. So what's going on here? And I must note at this point, I'm thankful for these priests. You know, it took courage to stand up to the king. They lived in a time and an age where the king's word was everything, that the king literally held life and death in his hands, that he could have people executed at a word. And it's a hard thing for people to stand up to those in authority. But we're called to do that whenever the word of God is being directly contravened. Not calling for an uprising. But God's word's got to come first. And these priests, these 81 priests, they withstood the king. They withstood him. Said, no, you can't do this. Because the king came in and tried to invade upon the priestly duties. He wanted to burn incense on the altar. And that wasn't for the king. The king wasn't allowed to do that. That was for the Levitical order. That was for the priests and the priests alone. So here comes the king. He comes marching in and he tries to do what he wants to do in the temple. And these priests stand up and they stand for the word of God. Because they knew what God had said in the matter. And they took a bold stand. And the beautiful thing we find is that the Lord is with him. Because as Uzziah gets enraged, he, he looks to extract some revenge. The Lord smites him with leprosy. A sign that God was with those people that stood upon the word of God. And I take courage in that this morning for the battle. And you should too. Because it is a hard thing to stand against the authorities. The government. The rulers. But when it's God's name... And it's God's word. We have to stand no matter the cost. And God will be with us. Now we need to be wise. We need to pick our battles. But there's a time when the line in the sand must be drawn. You know, I come from the heathen, heathen isle of England. All those heathens. I know I'm in God's country now, so I'm okay. But it's a battlefield there. It's a battlefield. And I've watched from a distance as is, is the, is the, the battle intensifies here. The battle for marriage. The battle for the basic fundamental truths of who God is. You know, when the day comes, we've got to stand. And if we do it honoring the Lord, the Lord will be with us. The Lord will be with us. The Lord was with these priests and Uzziah has has sent out, he's sent away as a leper. The one who had so much now has it all taken away. That's what it meant to be a leper. It was all taken away, cut off from everything. All the privileges, the connection with the people, everything. Temple worship, everything. Cut out, set away from the camp. That's how far this man had fallen. And, and the thing is, how did, how did it get to this? That's the question. 
Now the scripture says that his heart was lifted up, that he was full of pride. Absolutely, I believe that. But here's what I want to say to you this morning. Here's what I want to tie in a little bit, with a little bit of sanctified imagination, that yes, this is where we see the king succumb. This is where we see his great fall. But I want you again to remember where we said he stumbled. And where did he stumble? Save that the high places were not removed. 2 Kings 15, let's go back there again. Verse 3, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, save that the high places were not removed. This is the stumble. We get a little bit later on, we see that fall. I don't know about you, but if generally when I fall now, I'm getting to the age now where I fall like a dad, and I fall in slow motion. I used to be I have reflexes like a cat, just about... But not anymore. And often a little trip, you'll fight it for a little while. You'll try and course correct. But then ultimately you'll, you'll fall. Have you ever seen runners do this? Especially when they're doing runners in the lanes and somebody clips their foot and they'll try and correct it and they'll ultimately fall. Now we see the fall, but where did it start? It started with a little clip of the foot. That's where the stumble was. And the stumble, I believe, in uh, Azariah's life, in Uzziah's life, was the fact that he didn't remove the high places. And when we get to the point where he's cut off from the people, that he's struck with leprosy by the Lord, it's just a culmination of the things that he has allowed to happen in the start of his reign. He didn't remove the high places. The high places that the Lord had instructed be destroyed. The high places where false gods were worshipped. The high places where pagan influence was allowed in the land. And when you tie this together, you look into uh, all those kind of pagan uh, races and their religions. And you will find in the majority of them that the role of king and priest was interlinked. And often the king was the high priest. And here we find King Uzziah acting in a way where he's taken on the role as the high priest. What I want to say to you this morning, I want to say to you that he has been influenced by that which he has allowed in. And he's maybe looked and thought, well, if it's okay for their kings to do it, why can't I do it? And his pride and his pomp fuel that to the point where he goes in. And this is what he does. He desecrates the temple of God. Why? I think probably because he watched it being done. And he thought, that's alright for me, if it's alright for them. What's the spiritual lesson? The spiritual lesson, church, is if we allow high places in our lives... If we allow high places in our church, we will be influenced by those things. That we will stumble and be caught and tripped a little clip on the foot, as it were. But ultimately we go go on and we will fall in a drastic and dramatic way. That is the danger if we allow the world to influence us. You think about the, the denominations that we've just seen, you know, the absolute downfall of. You know, Methodism for a start that have voted on on same-sex marriage, have gone so far away from where they were when they were started. What do you think about Wesley's up to you? But, you know, he preached the gospel. How far have they fallen? But the stumble 
happened when they started to deviate away from taking God's word as it is and as he says it. And it goes on and on ultimately to these great falls. For the adulterer, it doesn't start with adultery. It starts with a little bit of imagination. It starts a bit about looking at things. You know, you can't control what comes into your mind, beloved. You can't control how long it stays there for. And when those things come into your mind, you want to get them out as soon as possible. Get to the Word of God. Get to God and pray and say, get these thoughts out of my mind. But for the one who falls in adultery, and we'll pick on pastors in the pulpit that have done it, it didn't just fall overnight. It started with a little stumble. It started with what? A little high place where the imagination would run wild. And then it would ultimately go on to lead to the participation in the fall. So the danger for Israel, and that's what God was telling them. That's why God said, destroy it all. Don't let one little bit in there. If you leave one little bit in there, it has the potential to grow and manifest itself in a way that you would never expect it. Clean it out. Cut it out. Get radical. Is what God said. Got to cut out these high places. If King Uzziah had done it all those years ago, then maybe he wouldn't have fallen in such a great way. We've got to deal with these high places. They're a danger to our walks, to our testimony, and ultimately to our witness in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The the king was smote with leprosy. He was sent away. He was unclean. The king that started well stumbled because he didn't remove the high places. Ultimately succumbed and fell in such a a, a mighty way. If you'd have said the king Uzziah at the start of his reign all those years ago, when he started, when he was doing these great things and told them that one day he would desecrate the temple of God, that he would go in and try and pollute the worship of God and end up a leper smoked by God, separated out of the camp. I can guarantee you he would say, that would never happen to me. I want to do right in the sight of the Lord. None who have fallen from grace would go back and say that they ever intended or started out that way to do it. But the stumble led to a fall just like it did for the king. I want to just close quickly. We've looked at King Uzziah, but we don't want to, we don't want to end with him because he didn't end well. He started well, but he stumbled and he succumbed. I want to take you just quickly, a little bit further on in 2 Kings, chapter 18. And we're going to see how another king succeeded. Here's what we want to do. Here's our guidance. Here's our benchmark when we're looking to the kings of Israel. 2 Kings, chapter number 18. Verse number 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, Son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. Very similar as it reads to King Uzziah, right? 
Here's the difference maker, verse 4. He removed the high places, he broke the images, he cut down the groves, breaking pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it in the Hushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he cleaved to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded him. Or Moses, sorry. How did this king succeed? Where Uzziah failed? He removed the high places. He cut them out. He knew what they were. He knew how much of a danger they were to the people of God. And he didn't tolerate them. So much so that he's marked out as the greatest king of Judah. None like him, before him or after him. Why? Because he went all the way for the Lord. What's my point this morning, church? Simply this. If you've got a high place in your life, a hidden or secret sin, behavior or pattern, I want to caution you that one day that high place will come back to bite you. And it could take your testimony. It could take your fellowship with the saints. It could take your marriage. It could take your home. If you don't deal with it now. Where did Isaiah go wrong? Save that the high places were not removed. God forbid any one of God's people this morning would leave here with a high place in their life. And God knows, and you know, we're all good at putting on a perfect picture, but the Lord knows. He searches the heart, and he knows if there's a high place in your life, and he doesn't want you to end up like King Uzziah. He wants you to be a Hezekiah, a king who succeeded. What are we going to do? Let's cut out the high places. Let's not give the enemy any room to let us stumble. And let's go on and protect our testimonies in the sight of the Lord. Because they're precious. Let's pray.